Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Uh, So it is my pleasure to introduce um, Elder Don Bernard, who's going to be bringing the Word this morning. Um, So let's give Don a hand. Thank you, sir. morning, church family. You know, I am so grateful being part of a family such as this. I hope you feel the same way. If you think about it, we're children of the living God. Right? That makes us family. The scripture calls us, we are children of the promise. When was the last time you were awestruck by the fact? That you are a child of God. I mean, really awestruck by that. I kind of felt that way last night. And it just, you know, as, as I was going through the scriptures and preparing and reading over my notes, it's like, wow. Do I believe this or not? <laughs> and that's when it really struck me. I am a child of God. God loves me. I'm his child. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation. And in the spirit of thanksgiving, man, is that a lot to be thankful for or what? Amazing. All right. This year, there's been a reoccurring theme within Reach Church. And uh, that theme has been three simple yet powerful words. And they are? Oh, you went to better than that. Absolutely. This is also the foundation for my message I'd like to share with you today. So I'm going to be offering some of my thoughts and from the words of the Bible that we're going to dig a little bit deeper in this topic of Jesus is greater. A little bit of a twist because that's who I am. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the family coming together. In a way, we're all gathering around the table of the Lord for your spirit to minister to us, for your spirit to speak to us. And so I pray, Lord God, not my words, but your words. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would set upon and settle upon each person that is gathered here today. That no matter even what I say, that they feel the joy and the love and the caring that you have for your people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm sure most of you have heard of, and maybe even some of you have a TV prescription, subscription, such as Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, Hulu Plus, Right? Who has, who has Disney Plus? Anybody? Wayne, what does the plus mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good answer. You know, they've all, they've all copied this, you know, something plus, right? And it's my understanding that, you know, Disney Plus says, well, here's my Disney Channel plus this. Plus, we're going to add this. Plus, we're going to give you 
National Geographic's. Plus, we're going to add these things. So Disney Plus is Disney Plus all these other things. So what is connection? What does the connection of Disney Plus have to do with Jesus, God, or the Bible? Absolutely nothing. But I think it makes an interesting illustration of a very serious problem that we're facing today. For decades, a war has been raging against biblical Christianity that goes under the seemingly innocent name of progressive Christianity. Have you been hearing that? Recently, there has been this talk of progressive Methodists. Recent research has shown me that it has cropped up in the halls of our seminaries, infiltrated the pulpits of our churches, and it's been propagated by the news media, which is, for the most part, godless media. It is bent on causing doubt and undermining the foundational principles of God's word. Unfortunately, it's nothing new. It's just more open due to today's technology and media. Many of the Apostle Paul's letters were written to churches that were experiencing serious doctrinal errors. One of his sharpest letters were penned to the church of Galatia. The Galatian churches had come into being as a result of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Shortly after he left, Paul was disturbed to find out that there were Jewish Christians that had circulated a new message of salvation, especially among his new Gentile converts. Paul had to confront this problem head on. Thus the reason for the letters to the Galatians. The Jewish Christians were teaching what Paul called a different gospel. Their message was, yes, salvation is through faith in Christ, in his death and resurrection, and not to forsake the Mosaic law. This is false teaching. And Paul was confronting it. A false teaching that I refer to as Jesus plus. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, is some of Paul's sharpest words to the church. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And as you know, gospel means good news. And so he's saying, this is no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven even, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Last week, I started a study of my own in the book of Hebrews. And what I noticed here, too, the author of Hebrews was also combating against Jesus plus teachings. The Jewish Christians were in danger of falling away from the crucifixion of Christ and back to the Mosaic law, their tradition. The evidence was including such things as drifting away from the initial beliefs, a falling away from the living God, 
People were focused, were forget, or forsaking the assembling together. They were strained from prayer. People were being moved by strange teachings. And we have a lot of those today, don't we? Failing to disciple others. And the last evidence was the neglect of the scriptures. Does this sound anything like our world today? You know, we live in a performance-based world. Would you agree? This way of life was planted into our minds when we were first born. Do good, work hard, and you'll receive a reward. You'll receive benefits. If you don't do good, there might be punishment involved. Then we go into our schools. You want a good grade? You need to perform well. You need to work hard. You need to give it your all. After our schooling, we start our careers. Same thing in our careers. We got to perform well. Even in most companies, they have performance reviews, right? If you get a good performance review, you might get a raise. You might get a better raise than the next guy. You might even get a promotion. If you get a bad performance review, your name might be in the top of the list of our next layoffs. Performance. The world's way of living is all about personal performance. It also includes a strong consideration of what others may think of us. It's about giving our best and doing more than the next guy. But hopefully at some point, we get introduced to something wonderful. An awesome gift known as forgiveness, salvation, and reconciliation to God. So, what may be our first response, our first natural, instinctive response? Well, we may ask, sounds great, but what action do I need to perform? Having grown up in the early Catholic Church, it was all about what must I do to be a good Catholic? What works do I need to perform for the church that would keep me out of purgatory, maybe even hell? What must I do to keep in good standing with the church? That was my Catholic faith. So initially, I had to admit, it was not easy for me, thinking in the flesh, to fully accept a gospel message of being saved by grace alone. Was it for you at first? As Pastor Heath stated last week, we live in a world that is contrary to Christ. We can easily be deceived by others as well as deceive ourselves by failing or falling into the performance trap. It becomes not only how we view ourselves, but dangerous how we may value our worth. Such deception becomes a life burden for the constant need to perform and the constant need to try and measure up to the opinions of others. It's an exhausting way to live, and it was never, ever God's plan. Let's take a look at some text that provides guidance that is contrary to that view. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Those that have a church background, you're probably very familiar with this verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Thus saith the word of God. 
Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. One thing not to do, one thing to do. Conformity means to go along with, having an allegiance even, consent, and submission. Transforming and renewing is the changing of our minds. It's rethinking maybe what we have learned early on in our lives. Rethinking those thoughts that the world has planted in us. And once we change our thinking, we can change our views, and that can also change our lives. It's a shifting of emphasis, conforming to transforming, worldly thinking to godly thinking, the natural to supernatural, finite way of thinking to forever way of thinking. Being bound to freedom. Fallen to redemptive. God's more concerned about what's going on inside of us than what's going on around us. How do we renew our minds? No, two ways. It starts with the feeding of your mind with truth. The word of God altering, penetrating down to our soul truth. Second, it's focusing on what's important to God and not what's important to the world. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. The renewing and focusing of our minds will change our lives. Another version of the Bible states it this way. Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside. And with a new way of thinking, then you'll be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You'll be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and that which is false. I've heard a pastor put it this way. Living the word is better than knowing the word. Living the word is better than knowing the word. Living the word is better than knowing the word. So here's my main point and question for your consideration today. It's four single words. Is the cross enough? Is the cross enough? Let me ask it a different way. Is Jesus enough for you to firmly believe you are free from the indictment of your sins, present and future, and have a solid foundation in Christ because of his death and resurrection. That's a mouthful. Is Jesus enough for you to firmly believe you are free from the indictment of your sins, present and future sins, and have a solid foundation in Christ? Because of his death and resurrection. Well, to get to this truth, you must start with 
the Bible with the word of God. But there's more. Also, we must consider our own personal, open, and honest view of the scriptures. It must start with a certainty in the validity of the scriptures without even a partial denial of its authenticity. If you think that's not a big problem, consider this. From the very beginning of mankind, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal, to kill, or commit adultery. He simply tempted them to question God's word. That's all he did. He tempted them to question the word of God. As disciples, we must start with the belief that all Scripture is inspired by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can't stop there. A belief that the Word of God is without error. This is what I see as one of the leading struggles that is going on in our world today, even in our churches. Very few subjects are more controversial today than the doctrine found in the Bible. If we believe in the sufficiency, the infallibility, the authority of the Word of God, how can anyone say, God didn't get certain parts right? But that's what's going on in some of our churches and other religious groups today. Churches are splitting over such partial denials of specific verses in the Bible. Oh, those verses don't pertain to society anymore. We've matured. We have evolved as a nation and a human race. God loves us all the same, no matter what race, sex, nationality, or creed. He loves us all. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? However, it's a very, very dangerous position to bet your eternity on, wouldn't you say? We all know John 3.16. We could all say it by heart. Yes, God so loved the world. But that verse does not end there. Today I look around in our society and I immediately, I need to run back to God's word and Jesus to be reminded and be refreshed. We are taught in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 70. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for the teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, it is a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by the philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Consider this. Know God's word and you will get to know God's nature. Know God's nature, you'll get to know his love. Know God's love, you'll get to know his son, Jesus Christ. Know God's son and you'll begin to realize the cross is indeed enough. It is all you will ever need 
to be in fellowship with God the Father. In John 17, verses 1 through 4, John records a conversation between Jesus and his Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may be glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to him whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There's no plus after that statement. God's plan of redemption does not, has not, and will not ever need our help or assistance. There's never a need for a Jesus plus. Can you ever imagine performing any type of works or even a wonderful Christian act of kindness or service, no matter how great it is, that would ever, ever, ever be needed to further develop your salvation, your justification, your sanctification, besides Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now, this might get a little uncomfortable for some of you. Can you ever imagine any sin, no matter how serious you think it is, that would ever, ever, ever be greater than what the shed blood of Christ could not overcome? If you are feeling guilty about something, is that guilt greater than the blood shed on the cross? Could any amount of guilt be greater than Jesus? If you are dealing with unforgiveness, either from within or from another person, is that sin of unforgiveness greater than the blood of Christ? If you are dealing with some form of addiction, could that addiction ever be greater than the power that is in the name of Jesus? While you're considering what I just said, listen to what the living, infallible, penetrating, provoking word of God has to tell us about who Jesus is. See which of these names might speak to you. In 1 Corinthians, he's known as the second Adams. Second Adam. In 1 John, he's the advocate. He's the author and finisher of the faith in Hebrews. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the beginning, the end, the shepherd, the bishop, the bread of life. In Revelations, he's the bright morning star. In Hebrews, he's the brightness of the Father's glory. He's the brother, the chosen, the Christ, the cornerstone, the counselor, the deliverer. And I love this one in John. He's the door of the sheep. Can you picture that? In Matthew, he's Emmanuel, friend, eternal life, express image of the Father. He's the head of the church, the high priest, the holy one of God. He's the judge, the king, the light of the world, life, lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelations. In Matthew, he's the master, mediator, Messiah, Passover, prince of life, prince of peace power of God. He's the physician. He's ransom. 
He's the refiner and purifier. He's the sacrifice, the salvation. In Matthew, he's the son of God, the son of man, son of righteousness. In John, he's the teacher, the truth, and the way. He's the wisdom of God. He's wonderful. And in Revelations 19, he is the word of God. And we know from the scriptures, and the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Everyone has an area in their life that needs attention. Everyone struggles with a sin nature. We know this because scriptures are very clear that there's a constant battle between our flesh and the spirit. And that battle is never going to go away while we're still here on earth. The faith and belief of a risen Christ becomes a means for his grace to transform us by that renewing of our thoughts and deeds. Such a renewal will also lead us to bear fruit, such as ministering to the people around us, to confront those who mourn, to seek the good of our wounded neighbors, and to share the good news that was once shared with you. And surprisingly, by not having to remind ourselves 10,000 times that we are forgiven by God, but through the renewing of our minds, we might actually believe it. This is the power of the cross and his resurrected life in us. God's Holy Spirit within us. I would like to invite the worship team back up to minister. So how about some encouraging news? Because of this amazing gift of grace that God has given us, we are no longer aliens to him. We are no longer enemies, no longer condemned. By grace, we are in Christ, objects of the Father's love, justified, forgiven, righteous, eternally loved, and united to God and to each other. That's why I call this family. We're united to God and we're united to each other. Spend time with family outside these Sunday gatherings. It's a real blessing. We have no capacity whatsoever to earn that which is now ours through Christ. That is worth celebrating, don't you think? So is the cross enough? It is enough, and greatly enough. The more we conform our minds to Christ, the more we will desire to unite ourselves to him in sacrifice and love. And less we will suffer from fear, disappointment in ourselves and others, and be deceived by this fallen world. The more we set our eyes on the cross, and we see ourselves walking along with Christ, Calvary, the more we will understand and believe there is nothing greater than what Christ did on the cross and what God did by resurrecting him from the dead. How great our joy should be. Even with all our troubles and failings we may experience today or tomorrow, knowing Jesus is greater, knowing the cross is enough. Jesus plus nothing is everything.
So I'm not going to close this in prayer. I'm going to let Greg do that with this last song. Because that's what songs are in the church. They're just prayers to music. And this is a special prayer that I ask Greg to lead us in. Now, while the song is going on, as always, every Sunday, we have a prayer team that goes to the back to be available for those that would like to reach out to somebody and have an agreement in prayer. The word says, when two are gathered to pray, I hear you. That's why we do it. So, Jerry and his wonderful wife, Belinda, is going to be in the back. If you're dealing with something, say a married couple, maybe there's a decision you need to make. Go see these fine folks. Let them know what you need prayer for. You don't have to give all the details. Let them pray with you. Let them lift up to God with you what that need may be what that decision may need to be. If you are a guy facing some kind of addiction, go to Jerry. Let the two come together in prayer about it. If you're a person that is dealing with unforgiveness or dealing with overwhelming guilt, go speak with Jerry or Belinda. There'll be other ones available too if they're tied up with other people. Don't get out. Don't let that stop you from getting out of your chair. Because we have other people waiting that they can come up and join you in prayer. But if you came in this room with something heavy on your heart, whether it be guilt, unforgiveness, whatever it is, something heavy on your heart that could be placed there by the Holy Spirit, expecting you to do something with it. You don't need to leave with that same guilt. Bring it to God. That's what it's all about. If that's too much for you, we have the prayer cards. Fill out a prayer request. Write your name. If you want to put your phone number that someone could agree with your prayer and pray with you about it then, that's fine. You can do that. If you want to put it down anonymous, that's fine too. God sees your heart. God sees your attention. That's what the prayer cards are for. Use them. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.